Is everybody comfortable here this morning? Everybody comfortable? We like to be comfortable. Comfortable pews with pads on them. Comfortable furniture in our homes. We like to wear comfortable shoes. We like, we like comfortable clothes. We like to sleep in a comfortable bed. Not too hard, not too soft, just right. It's kind of the Goldilocks syndrome. We enjoy comfort foods. Anything from donuts and lattes to mochas and chocolate of any kind. We like to be comfortable while we're being entertained. We like theater seats that recline. We like the comfort of our family room couch. Is everybody comfortable? Just checking. Okay, good. Just want to make sure everybody's comfortable. We like to be with comfortable people in comfortable situations. When I ask you a question, you respond, you got uncomfortable. I see that. Uncomfortable or comfortable. What happens when we're comfortable all the time? What happens when we're comfortable all the time? The result of all comfort all the time is something called arrested development. Arrested development. We don't develop. We don't grow. We stay the same in the same place or we go into decline. In our spiritual journey, our Christian walk, we also want to be comfortable. And we say, don't make me uncomfortable. It's been said that the job of the preacher is to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. Otherwise, we all get arrested in our development. If truth were to be told, most of us would tell that we are being afflicted in some way, not by this pastor, but in some other way. We like to think we can have instant discipleship or shortcut spirituality. We buy a Christian bumper sticker and put it right next to the Green Bay Packer bumper sticker and we wear, what would Jesus do, uh, wristband, and then we go on our way and say, we're good. But reality is a different story. If life were that simple, we'd all have arrested development. We resist discomfort. We grow impatient with how God has made life. There's an article entitled Spiritual Shortcuts in Christianity Today magazine, and it says this. We do well to remember that he, God, has created us not to be tourists who seek instant and intense gratifications or comfort, but to be pilgrims on a long journey. Our destination is the heavenly city, but unlike other journeys, God has made it so the views and the trials, the experiences and the people we meet along the way, make this journey a destination of its own, a process by which we prepare for the moment we come face to face with Jesus. In other words, it's not going to be comfortable. Get over it. Get over it. If it was easy and comfortable, we'd never grow. We would remain in arrested development. Today, we're going to look at arrested development. How to avoid the comfort zone. That's not what you wanted to hear today, but that's what we're here to hear today. We're beginning a 12-week series on the book of James. The book of James, and I'd like us to turn to James 1 and look at the first eight verses of James 1. It's on page 977 in the Bible if you want to find it in the rack in front of you. James 1, 1 through 8. 
as we start this, I, I know that this is not the favorite book of everybody, but we're going to do it. Okay. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. The author of the book of James was James, who was the half-brother of Jesus. Mary was his mother, and Joseph was his real father. Interestingly enough, James did not believe that Jesus was God and he did not believe he was the Messiah until after the resurrection. After the resurrection. Here James writes, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. If your family is convinced you are God, then you're probably God. Most of us don't have that luxury. James was convinced that Jesus was God. And James was the accepted head of the church in Jerusalem. And the recipients of this letter were called the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. At this point in time in history, the church had scattered all throughout the then known world, the Greco-Roman world, and they were all over. Um, James was what's called a circular letter. In other words, it wasn't written to a specific church or group. First Corinthians, Corinthians, Ephesians, Philippians, all of those were written to a specific church or group of people in a certain area. This was called a circular letter, so it was meant to be out there for everybody. James is a very practical book, and it has practical implications for our daily Christian walk. It's like the second stage of Pilgrim's Progress. You've come to faith in Jesus Christ now. Here's what you do next. The Christian faith cannot be separated from ethical living, and the things that James talks about are ethical living. James is writing to a people who are actually in the middle of challenges. How do they respond? What does he tell them, and what does he tell us? Let's start with Roman numero one, our attitude in trials. Our attitude in trials. In verse two, it says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. James tells us what kind of attitude to have when we're experiencing trials or tough times. Joy? Seriously? Are you kidding me? Pure joy. He says pure joy. James knew that we like to live comfortable. We like to live in the comfort zone where everything is great. Everything's great. The spouse loves you. Your kids are behaving all the time. Your job's great. Friends are all nice to you. Your relatives stay away. Money's rolling in and everyone's healthy. Comfort and convenience are two gods of America. And when we have comfort and convenience, we're all comfortable, we, we don't think we really need the true God. But God loves us so much that if we don't move out of the comfort zone, he will move us. He will move us. Many of you can attest to that. He doesn't like arrested development. He wants us to grow. So he tells us to rejoice, not joy for the trials, but joy 
in the trials. There's a difference. Most of us rejoice when we escape the trials. We're called here to rejoice in the middle of the trial. And it says consider. Consider it. And this word considerate joy, it's an imperative. It's in, it's in the command note. It's not this option. He says considerate joy. Pure joy. Joy is not synonymous with pleasure. Is he saying enjoy the pain? No. He's saying enjoy the process and enjoy the results. Christian joy is active. It's not passive. It has nothing to do with externals. It has nothing to do with comfort, routine, or self-satisfaction. So he says consider it joy when God moves you out of your comfort zone. Because it is there and only there that we find our relationship with Jesus renewed, revitalized, and strengthened. Talks about trials of many kinds. The message talks about tests and challenges that come at you from all sides. And the implication is that these are unexpected challenges. That's what makes it so challenging is they, they come out of nowhere. All of a sudden you've got this trial, this challenge. That makes it difficult. We get blindsided. Don't see him coming. We, we would say, if only I could prepare for this one. We can't. Well, after many years in ministry and a lot of years of just plain life, it's taught me that everybody, and I can, I, I can say everybody here, I can probably say, everybody here is in one of three places. One of three places. You're coming out of a trial. Okay, coming out of a trial, you're heading into a trial, or you're in the middle of a trial. Okay? Anybody not in one of those three places? <laughs> it's like there's, there, once in a while we get a break, and we say, oh, praise God, I get a break for a couple of days. But there's always something that causes us to look at and have our dependence on Jesus Christ. People are coming out of a trial, into a trial, or in the middle of the trial. Don't let these nicely dressed people around you fool you. That's where they're at. That's where they're at. Every one of us is in the middle of some trial. And I'll just say this. Some of you, some of you look joyful. Some of you, some of you don't. You've got to let your joy communicate with your face. I just want to say that. Because I need to see that you're joyful. Is anybody joyful? Okay. Okay, some of you are lying. I know, that's okay. Okay, so why does James say that? How can we find joy in trials? Let's look at the advantage of trials. Look at the advantage of trials. Verses 3 and 4. It says, because you know that the, t- the testing of your faith develops perseverance, perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Not lacking anything. Now, we live in a very competitive culture. We're all trying to get the advantage. And we're not talking about the competitive edge or advantage or one-upmanship. We're talking about personal advantage, a growth opportunity. It's a growth opportunity. A chance to avoid arrested development. Now, I've said to God more than one time in my life, I've I've had enough of character development. Thank you. Give me a break. Give me arrested development for a while. I, I, I want to be comfortable. And we do like comfortable. But James says, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. You say, I don't want perseverance. And we whine, and we whine, and we whine. Do you know why God created goldfish? 
God created goldfish because he wanted something with his mouth open that was not complaining. The word you know, when he's talking about you know, says you know this, it denotes experiential knowledge. We know from experience that the testing of our faith develops perseverance. And knowing from experience is very, very important. We can all say we know something. But until we actually experience it, we really don't know it. Take flying an airplane, for instance. The guy says, you know, I've read all the books on flying an airplane. I've played flying on video games. I've seen lots of movies on flying. I know all about flying. I've even flown a simulator at the mall. I've watched Aviator and Sully, where Captain Sully crash-landed on the Hudson River. How many of you would fly with him? No. That's not experience. That's not knowing. Knowing by experience is what God has called us to do. And these people that James is writing to know from experience the positive outcome of trials. They've experienced it. We just don't want any more of that kind of blessing from God. It's like, I don't really care. The testing of your faith, proving of our faith, purification of our faith. Heat is usually the instrument for refining. We talk about heat. David McKenna talks about a silver, silversmith who is refining silver in a flame. Flame is that heat. And he said, what you do when you refine silver in the middle of the flame, you put it in the middle of the flame, the hottest spot, and hold it till it is refined, till it's refined. You can't hold that in the flame too short a time or the impurities are left. If you hold it in the flame too long, you will destroy the silver. So David McKenna asked the silversmith, how do you know when it's just right? And the man answered, when it's so shiny, I can see my image in it. When it's so shiny, I can see my image in it. God, our silversmith, holds us in the flame, in the heat, just the right amount of time. In the hottest part, not too short, not too long, until he can see his image reflected in us. That's when our faith is proven. And if we didn't have good faith, it'd be burned up. And that, he says, develops perseverance. I don't know if you ever get so tired you want to quit. Say, I'm tired. I I just don't want to do this anymore. You've probably said that many times over the last year with the COVID epidemics. I just don't want to put a mask on one more time. I don't want to do this. You know, there are so many things we've been called to do. We say, I just don't want to do that. Some of you have been required to do things at work because you work in the health industry or work with elderly people. You say, I'm so tired of doing this. Maybe it's caring for an aging parent. You're taking care of your kids. Working and going to school. Dealing with temptation. You just, you just want to quit. And I shared this one time before. I was alone one Saturday night at our church in Lakewood just spending time in prayer. And I was tired. I was discouraged. I was overwhelmed with the thought of challenges that were facing me. We had been through two building projects 
And we needed another one because we were out of space. We had all these kids, young families, and we needed more space. And it's like we needed more. And we, we had, finances were incredibly tight. And we never had enough money. And I was there at the church and I thought about preaching every Sunday, week in and week out. It was, it's like preparing, if you've ever prepared for class or preached, it's like preparing, it's like preparing a, a term paper, a research paper. Every week, you do the study and you do the outline, you do the writing and you do that, and then you have to present it every week. And I th- said, you know what? I was tired. And I laid down on the platform and I said, God, I can't do this for 20 more years. I was tired. I said, I can't do this for 20 more years. And God answered me and said, you don't have to preach for 20 more years. You just have to preach tomorrow morning. I said, I can do that. I can do that. And here I am 30 years later still preaching. Okay? <laughs> One at a time. One Sunday at a time. Your life may feel like that. It's like this. You look ahead and you see this huge, oh, no, I can't do that. All you have to do is one day at a time, one day at a time, one day at a time. Perseverance. The testing of our faith develops perseverance. God gave me strength last time. I guess he can do it again. He can keep me going now. Perseverance, it says, must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete. God wants to move beyond the comfortable zone, the comfort zone, the arrested development. And he wants us all to finish well. Finish well. It's not over till it's over. And that means heaven someday. It's not retirement. It's not summer break. It's not anything else. It's finishing well. In the book by Bruce Wilkinson, A Life God Rewards, Bruce does a, an incredible job of describing who we are going to be in eternity. You know, this life is relatively short. It's like a, it's like a, a grain of sand on a, on a bunch of beach. That's how long. It's like, a, like a, a, a vapor that comes out of a steam kettle. Just boom, it's there and it's gone. The, the rest of it is beyond. Beyond. And he says, this is what we're going to be in eternity. He says, it's what we've become on earth. Now, salvation is not earned, but what we do on earth clearly affects our rewards in heaven. And the testing of our faith produces perseverance. Perseverance produces maturity, completeness, not lacking in anything. That's who we'll be for eternity. Sometimes we just look at the now. We have to say, what is it going to be like in eternity? And how do I know if my faith works? How do I know if my faith works? Try it out. Try it out. If we don't, God will help us try it out. So, he says, just be joyful. Just be joyful. Consider it all joy. Be joyful. There's an interesting perspective from a guy named Gary Richmond. He wrote a book called A View from the Zoo. A View from the Zoo. And he tells about the birth of a giraffe. The birth of a giraffe. He says, the first thing to emerge are the baby giraffe's front hooves and heads and head. A few minutes later, the plucky newborn calf is hurled forth, falls 10 feet, and lands on its back. Within seconds, he rolls to an upright position with his legs tucked under his body. And from this position, he considers the world for the very first time and shakes off the last vestiges of the birthing fluid from his eyes and ears. 
The mother giraffe lowers her head long enough to take a quick look. Then she positions herself directly over her calf. She waits for about a minute. Then she does the most unreasonable thing. She swings her long, pendulous leg outward and kicks her baby so that it is sent sprawling head over heels. When it doesn't get up, the violent process is repeated over and over again. The struggle to rise is momentous. As the baby giraffe grows tired, the, the mother kicks it again to stimulate its efforts. Finally, the calf stands for the first time on its wobbly legs. Then the mother giraffe does the most remarkable thing. She kicks it off its feet again. Why? Why? She wants it to remember how it got up. In the wild, baby giraffes must be able to get up as quickly as possible to stay with the herd where there is safety. Lions, hyenas, leopards, and wild hunting dogs all enjoy young giraffes. And they get it too if the mother didn't teach her calf to get up quickly and get with it. It's a giraffe. How many times have you just gotten back on your feet after a trial and got knocked down again by the next trial? God doesn't want us to get too comfortable and forget how we got up. Arrested development. Remember how we got up in God's strength. If we do not understand, where do we turn for help to understand? That's the next question. How do we know? You're in the middle of this. How do you know what to, what to do? Let's look at for assistance for trials. Five through eight. Number three, assistance for trials. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. And it would be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded, unstable in all he is. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask, ask God. You say, I asked last time, I didn't like the answer. Our ask is not, why me or God get me out of here? When we're in the middle of trials, ask the question, God, help me understand what you're doing here. Help me understand what it is you're trying to accomplish here. It says, God will give you understanding. He'll give you understanding. But when we ask, we cannot doubt, we must believe. Is God sovereign? Is God in control? That's the question we always come up against. Certainly, God must be out of control of this happening to me. Is God sovereign? Is God in control? Now, I'm not try talking about trying to understand the consequences of making poor choices and then asking for God's help. I'm talking about being placed in a trial, no choice of your own. Can you trust God? Can you trust God? I'll trust him when I get out of here. No. Can you trust God in the middle of the trial? If we do not believe, if we don't trust God but doubt, we are like a wave in the ocean blown by the wind, tossed by the sea. In that scenario, we're influenced by all kinds of external forces. If you've ever been out in the ocean, where there are big waves, and a big wave to me on the ocean is seven feet, eight feet. You may have been in huge seas. But if you're out there, 
When you're on the top of the wave, it feels great. Wow, look, I can see. Then you're at the bottom in the trough, and it doesn't feel so great. Ups and downs. We look at our position, our circumstances, our power, or powerlessness. We're up and down, up and down. Faith looks at God. Doubt looks at the ocean. Faith looks at God. Doubt looks at the trials. And, and when we do that, we're double-minded. We're unstable in all ways. Trusting God and not trusting God. It's like picking the petals off a daisy. You know, you've done that. She loves me. She loves me not. She loves me. She loves me not. You go around the circle. See, you're hoping to end up on, she loves me. We do that with God. I trust God. I don't trust God. He loves me. He loves me not. He loves me. He loves me not. And we have this unstable relationship with God. God loves me. Up and down. Unstable. Faith or doubt. And it happens to all of us. Don't pray, God, get me out of here. Pray, God, give me wisdom. You have a plan. Help me see the plan. Help me trust you in the middle of this. Hebrews 11.6 says, And without faith it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to God must believe he exists, and then he rewards those who earnestly seek him. I have a $20 bill. Okay. Anybody here want the $20 bill? Okay, quite a few of you. I'll have to see what I can do. Now, I'm going I'm to kind of crumple it up. Who wants it now? Still? You still want it? Okay. Okay, I'm just going to grind it into the carpet. Anybody want it now? No matter what I do to this $20 bill, you still wanted it, right? It didn't decrease in value because it was dropped or wrinkled or crumpled into the floor. It's still worth $20, isn't it? Still worth $20. Give it to you because I trust you'll give it back to me because you, you work for me. No matter what trials we go through, no matter what he allows in our life, you will never lose your value before God. And we experience wrinkling, crumpling, ground into the floor, all kinds of things. But your value never diminishes in the middle of trials. And God will always come to your help. Are you experiencing arrested development? Probably not in this life, but be glad, have joy. And if you're here this morning going through a trial, I want to take some time to just have a word of prayer for you. I'd like us to just bow our heads. Bow our heads. And if you are going through a trial right now, you don't have to say what it is, but I'm just going to ask you to just slip your hand up, and I'm going to pray a prayer. Anybody all over the place? Yeah, just slip your hand up. Lots of people, lots of us are going through that. Okay. Let's pray for for that. Father, you see the hand. You see every hand that's raised, and you know the trial that every person's going through. And we thank you that it's not an accident that they're here today. 
that you care about every detail of our lives. And I just pray, God, that as you look past the externals and all the things that we place in front of people, that you would, by your grace, begin to give wisdom to know what you're doing and why. And we know that we don't stay in the middle of those trials forever. That you accomplish what you're going to accomplish. And then you deliver us from that. And I just pray, God, that we would have supernaturally, we would have joy. And we would be able to consider it joy when we're going through tough times. And I just pray that that supernatural joy would permeate our lives, the life of this congregation. As many have gone through very difficult times, especially this last year. And we just pray, Lord Jesus, that you would, by your grace, bring joy and wisdom supernaturally. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.